All right. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning. If you wouldn't mind standing up, um, I would like to read this all together. I know we kind of had a lot of announcements this morning, so kind of get our blood flowing. So if you would read this with me, this is our mission statement here at Mitchell Brand. And it says, um, we are a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where they live, work, and play. Thank you for doing that. You guys can be seated. And the second thing I would like to do is, I don't know if you guys got this card as you walked in to the um, sanctuary with your bulletin, but this is what a disciple is. And there's one scripture on here that is a key scripture for our mission statement, which is Matthew 28, 18, and 20. So you can read this with me um, if you would like. And it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, <clears throat> I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this scripture we want to pair up with our mission statement, because not only do we want to do local missions where we live, work, and play, but we also want to be going out amongst the nations to share the gospel and to be on mission. So today we're continuing in our um, mission statement. We're talking about what is a disciple. So if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, we'll be um, reading verse 12 through 14, which has been one of our key scriptures for equip. And before we get going, um, I'm not going to preach in a beanie. I don't know if anybody is bothered by um, wearing a hat while someone preaches, um, but I'm not actually going to be um, preaching with that. And I have a, a, a dress shirt here underneath my jacket. But um, I've had people every service um, be frustrated with me because I was wearing a beanie um, to be in, in fun, but to begin the sermon. But what I'd like to ask you is why some of you probably didn't even notice or didn't really care. For some of us, maybe that bothered us. Maybe some of us thought it was nice to see someone dressed more casually. But the point is, is throughout our day, we're processing everything around us. And we're either processing these things through our experiences, through our opinions, and through our preferences, or we're going to be processing these things through in the light of Scripture. And so for you, when it came to a beanie and a jacket, did you process that through your experience, through your tradition? Um, or did you process that through what does the Scripture say about teaching the Word and how we should respect the Word or maybe respect um, the ability or the opportunity to preach the word. So I'm not going to get into whether or not you should read a beanie or wear a beanie isn't really the point. But the point is, is what is your gut instinct when you're going throughout the day? Are you, are you viewing your life through the lens of scripture or are you viewing your life through your experiences, through your preferences and through your opinions? In Hebrews chapter 12, he, he talks about this. He says, or sorry, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. He talks about this idea and he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
So what I really like about this scripture is at the very end, he says, those who have had their senses trained to um, be able to discern the difference between good and evil. Did you know that just because you're a believer doesn't mean you can discern the difference between what is truly good and what is evil. That discernment comes with the practice and the application of the word of God. And through time, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, matures us so that we're able to discern what is good and what is evil. But if we are evaluating everything through our experiences, through our opinions, through through our preferences, you're not gonna be able to have a discernment that comes from God, but ultimately we are gonna have um, a human perspective, human discernment, which we know causes problems, causes divisions and will cause conflict. So the second scripture I wanna look at with this is in James chapter one. And this is verse 22 through 25. I'm reading out of the New King James Version if you guys are following along. Today, and this will be up on the screen as well. But James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And so what the scripture is saying here is that if we hear the word, you know, we know what the Bible says, but we are not practicing the word that we actually end up deceiving ourselves. And the worst thing about being deceived is when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived, right? That's the, that's the tough part about deception is if everyone who was deceived knew they were deceived, then no one would be deceived. Everyone would just be making decisions. But the truth is that sin and the lack of obedience to God's word creeps in and it clouds our spirit spiritual mind that we are deceived on what is right and what is wrong. And that's why we need people in our life that can speak truth and correct us when we're wrong. And if we don't have that, it's like if you woke up in the morning and you ate your breakfast and you put some ketchup on your hash browns, you got ketchup all over your face. And before you went to work, you looked in the mirror and you saw you had ketchup all on your face. But as soon as you turned around, you forgot you had ketchup on your face and you went throughout your whole day with stuff all over your face. That's what he's saying it's like to read the word of God, to see who God is and to see the sin in our own life. But if we don't do it, it's as if as soon as we go into our day, we forget, forgot um, who we are and this deception starts to creep into our life and blind us. So the point of challenging us as a group today of what are we discerning by, how are we processing things, is really to answer this question. What is a disciple? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. What is a disciple? And when we answer that question, the next question each one of us has to answer is, are you a disciple? Am I a disciple according to what scripture says a disciple is, not according to what my preference, my opinion, or maybe my experiences would tell me. So people who've been through Equip um, have heard this statistic already, but if anybody wants to shout it out, you can go ahead. Um, It's okay to talk in church sometimes. And um, the question is, how many times do you think a Christian... The, the, the word Christian is used in the Bible, if you were to guess. I heard some zeros. So it's actually, it's three times. Twice in the book of Acts, once in the book of First Peter. Now, the second question is, how many times is the word disciple used in the New Testament? Over 260 times the word disciple is used in the New Testament. So I'm not against the word Christian. I understand why we use it. Christian's not a bad word. 
But my point is, is when we want to look at the Bible of what the Bible says about following Christ, about being a a Christian, really the term that's defined really clearly isn't the term Christian, but is the term disciple of what it means to follow who Jesus is. And in a very general sense, a disciple was basically like an intern or an apprentice, somebody who followed a leader, followed a teacher, and that person would teach them a skill or a behavior that they could have an occupation um, or become a leader of some sort. So in our um, instance, we've come up with a definition of what a disciple is, and it's on that card. If you guys got that coming in, if not, you can get it on your way out. Um, But this is how we're defining a disciple, and we're going to see how Jesus does this in the scripture. A disciple of Christ is a lifelong follower, student, example, and teacher of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives us four scriptures where he tells us that these four things are included in following him. So the first one, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus will tell us what it looks like to be a follower of him. And there's a C word that goes with each one of these scriptures. And um, this first one is in order to be a follower of Jesus, he shows us what it will cost. It will cost us something in order to follow him. So Luke 9, 23, he says, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus says in order to follow him, there's something that we need to do, and that is to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. Now, Jesus isn't coming up with some legalistic rule here. He's saying that if we aren't willing to deny ourselves and pick up our cross, we just won't be able to follow him. That the road of a disciple of Jesus Christ is the hardest thing you will do in your life. To truly follow Jesus is harder than anything else you will be called to while you live on this earth. And Jesus is saying, if we don't go into this with the mindset that I'm gonna have to deny myself and pick up my cross, we will just not be able to follow him and be his disciple. But this is a hard challenge. And John 15, if you'll turn with me there, tells us how do we continue to be his disciple? How do we deny ourselves and pick up our cross without becoming worn out? And the answer to that is to become a student of Jesus. And we will read John 15, one through eight. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear good fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so you will be my disciples. So here Jesus really puts an emphasis on his word, that the word of God must abide in us and we must abide in the word of God because ultimately the power to deny ourselves and pick up our cross for a lifetime 
is too challenging for us on our own strength, that eventually we will burn out, eventually we will give in, and sin will overcome us unless we are connected to Jesus Christ. It's by his grace that he empowers us by being connected to his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would change our lives. And I love the scripture that uh, we used for Awana. Of, um, I was planning on sharing it today of Psalm um, 119.11 of I have hidden your word in my heart so that I would not sin against you. And to hide the word of God in your heart does not mean you have to be a Bible scholar, does not mean you have to know Greek and Hebrew, does not mean you need to know all the context of the Bible. To hide the word of God in your heart takes discipline, it takes commitment, and it takes um, being willing to meditate and truly understand the word. In order to memorize the scripture just takes time. And people always tell me they can't memorize the Bible, but yet we have a lot of other things memorized, right? Our favorite hobbies and the things we like to do. We have all that stuff memorized because we're passionate about it because we take time. See, hiding the word of God in our heart, abiding in the word does not mean you have to be a Bible scholar, but it does mean you have to take time to be in the word um, daily and allow the word of God to saturate your heart. The third thing that Jesus tells us to be um, his disciples, to be an example, he gives us a calling for our life. And if you turn with me to John 13, just a couple pages back, John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus tells us our calling. Not only do we follow him, are we students of his word, but we become examples of him in the calling that he's given us. In verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this scripture is pretty straightforward, but ultimately Jesus is actually talking about disciples, people within the church. It's important, obviously, for us to love everyone, but the new commandment, the specific commandment that Jesus is giving us here is to love one another, to put other believers above ourselves, just like Jesus did for us. That Jesus laid down his life for the people of God. And for us too, we should lay down our life in order to support and encourage and be there for one another. That that we have to be a, a living example. We can't just be full of Bible knowledge, but we have to actually go out and be an example of the love of Christ, not only to the world around us, but specifically within the church to build up one another in Christ. Then finally, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we already read this morning. Um, Pastor John did an entire sermon on this, which is the Great Commission. I mean, this is about being a teacher of Jesus Christ, that eventually as we follow him and we study his word and we live out his word, we'll get to the point where we can um, bring someone along and help teach them what it means to be a Christian or a disciple as well. Now, when we look at these scriptures, um, it's a high standard. And Jesus isn't asking us, to do this perfectly. But what he's asking us to do is to be devoted and be committed to what he has called us to do. And I've seen, um, there's one guy in particular that I was thinking about as I was putting together this sermon that I have, he's a good friend of mine. He's in Colorado and I saw him and I've seen him go in and out of addiction. Um, he, he struggles with a lot of um, hard things from his past, some, some mental illness that he's still working through. And if you saw him at certain points of his life, you would say, well, he's not denying himself. He's not picking up his cross. But because I know him, I know that he is. And I know that even though he struggles and there's times where he falls back into sin, I know who he was before he got saved. I know what he was like before he decided I'm gonna pick up my cross. I'm gonna deny myself. And I know who he is now. And he's a totally different person. See, we can make big mistakes as disciples of Christ. This isn't about being perfect. But when we make mistakes and we fall into sin and we fall back into old patterns, what are we gonna do? 
Are we gonna embrace our sin and just give up? Or are we gonna make the decision that no, I am going to deny myself. I'm gonna pick up my cross. I'm gonna come back to the grace of God and allow him to heal me and have him help me continue as his disciple. So today in the last about 10, 15 minutes that we have, I wanna look at Luke 9, 23 about being a follower of Jesus and what this will cost us. Because if we don't follow him, we can't be a student, we can't be an example, we can't be a teacher, that it starts with this beginning of what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? In Luke 9, 23, I'll read this again. Jesus says, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the first thing that Jesus says is if anyone desires. And so the question that we have to answer for ourselves is do you want to follow Jesus? It can't just be something you think you should do or that um, other people want you to do, but do you, for yourself, do you desire to come after Jesus Christ? Do you desire to follow him? That is the first question we have to answer is do we actually want to follow him? And this is the same thing that Jesus challenged his first disciples with. I want you to imagine for a second that you followed Jesus for three years. You saw Jesus heal the sick. You saw Jesus preach awesome sermons. You even saw Jesus raise people from the dead. And then when Jesus was crucified, you denied him and you ran from him, that you weren't there with him in his, in his hour of need, you left him. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is actually resurrected and he's standing right in front of you. This guy that you follow, this guy that you've loved, that you've turned from is now standing right in front of you and is now asking you to be his disciple. And this is what happens with Peter. And if you turn with me to John chapter 21, after all they'd been through, there's one question that Jesus asked Peter. It's not how long have you studied the Torah or how well do you know how to disciple someone? But this is the question that Jesus asked Peter. And this is the question that Jesus is asking us of do we desire to follow him? In John chapter 21, verse 15, he says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. See, Jesus was challenging Peter with the most important factor of him being a disciple was loving Jesus Christ. That's the only motivation that's gonna keep us and allow us from the point that we decide to follow Jesus all the way to the point of his return or our death. The only motivation that will keep us secure in Jesus is his love for us and our love for him. Any other motivation is gonna crumble over time and sin will ultimately overcome us. But how do we know, again, back to the hat analogy, how do we know if we love God? 
Is that something that we, we pull from our opinion, our preference, our experiences, the feeling we maybe get in our chest when we do worship? Or do we know what the Bible, how the Bible defines love and how the Bible defines us loving God? If you turn with me to 1 John 2.15, he lays out really clearly what it means to love God. Similar to what Jesus taught of, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And in 1 John, he builds on that truth. 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not the Father, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So Jesus is saying we can't have two loves. We can't love the world. We can't want to just be liked. We can't have our, all of our own dreams and aspirations. We have to choose. Are we going to love God or are we going to love the world? And why does he say this? Um, we're going to get to that in a minute. But one of the big reasons I want to touch on here is he's a jealous God. No husband wants to share his wife with a bunch of guys. Every husband wants his wife to be faithful and him to be faithful to her. That's not how we do marriage. In the same way, Jesus says the church is his bride. That Jesus loves you and he is expecting faithful and committed love back. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. If you turn with me to James chapter 4, just a couple chapters back. James 4 verse 4. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, the world is getting more and more distinct of what line you're, or what side of the line you're standing on when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to biblical truth. And here, um, the book of James is telling us if we are desiring to be a friend of the world, if we're desiring to be liked, if we're desiring to be accepted in the world, to be a friend of the world, it says that we actually make ourselves an enemy of God, that we will end up being contrary against him. So what does this look like practically? You know, what does it actually look like when the love of the world and the love of Christ come together and we have to choose? Um, if you turn with me to Mark chapter 10, there's a really, really good example in the life of Jesus of what it looked like for a guy who wanted to follow Jesus, but he was unable to because of his love for the world. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now as he was going on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So right away, I just want to point out there's a couple things we can pull about who this guy is. Number one, um, he's pursuing Jesus at some level. He's literally running towards Jesus and wants to ask him a question. So there's something about this guy who's pursuing who Jesus is. And number two, he respects him because he kneels down, he submits to him, and he asks him a question of um, spiritual significance. So this guy is pursuing Jesus at some level, and he respects Jesus at some level. Now, the third thing we see in verse 18, he says, So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. 
And he answered and said to him, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. So this guy is zealous. He's spiritually disciplined. Now the truth is he hadn't kept all these from his youth. And Jesus knew that because Jesus says, if you lust with a woman after your eyes, you've committed adultery. So you're telling me this guy has never once lusted in his entire life. Number two, Jesus um, Jesus says, if we have anger in our heart towards our brother, it's as if we've committed murder. So this guy, I guess, has never been angry with anyone. Or to steal, Jesus says, if we are to covet someone else's goods, that it's as if we have stolen from them. That ultimately this guy, even though he was zealous and spiritually disciplined, disciplined, he was missing the heart of what God was really after. But Jesus doesn't even challenge him on this. But instead... Jesus doesn't get frustrated. In verse 21, I love, I love what Jesus does. He says, then Jesus looking at him, loved him. That Jesus cared about this guy. And, it sa- and said to him, one thing that you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, this guy wanted to pursue Jesus. He respected Jesus. Um, He wanted to do what was right. He was a moral person. But when it came down to loving the world or loving God, he loved the world more. Not maybe by what he said, maybe not by what he wanted other people to think, but by his actions, he made the choice that he would rather have his things than follow Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does it say having things is bad. But what happens if you're tested in the same way? We always say, well, Jesus would never ask me to do that. That's probably what this guy said. God would never ask me to give up. He's given me all these things to bless others. But in reality, when Jesus actually called him on the carpet, his heart was revealed. And what his his heart said is he loved the world more than he loved God. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we see why is Jesus demanding this type of standard in order to follow him? We talked already that he's a jealous God. He loves us. He's desiring to make the church his, his bride, his wife. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. See, we were bought with a price and that price is the blood of Christ. That Jesus, he gave his life for you and for me. And all he's asking us is to give our lives in return. But the truth is, it's a much lesser sacrifice. That Jesus didn't have to become a man and come down on this earth. Jesus didn't have to die. He didn't have to um, experience both the physical and spiritual death on the cross. But he did all those things because he loved us and he was willing to. And in return, Jesus isn't asking us to be perfect. He isn't asking us to die for the world's sins. He's asking us to be devoted to him and to love him more than we love the world. That Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he didn't do. And in fact, he did much greater than he's asking us to do. He's demonstrated his love for you and for me. And he's asking us, if we want to be his disciple, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and to demonstrate our love for him. Now this isn't easy. John 5.17 or Galatians 5.17 says that the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. No matter how spiritual you get and how mature in your faith you get, there is going to be a battle and a wrestle daily. That's why Jesus says, deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily. This isn't easy. This is something that we need the power of Christ to do and we will be uh, faced with this choice daily. But I wanna close with this scripture 
in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, that I think sums this up well. And I remember when I read this first for the first time um, as a new believer and I was reading my Bible um, for myself for the first time, um, I was shocked at this scripture. My jaw kind of dropped and it really made me think of, am I a disciple of Jesus? So Luke 14, verse 26, he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. For what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So one disclaimer I want to make in the scripture is, you know, we hear the word hate. Sometimes we think of animosity or ill will towards someone. Um, that's not really the case of how um, the, the Jewish culture used this word, but it was a matter of value. And I want you to think about if you were in the desert and you were dying of thirst and there was two water bottles, one bo- water bottle was full of water, one water bottle was empty. And if you didn't drink some water, you were gonna die. In this context, he's saying that empty water bottle, you would hate that water bottle. Not that you want to destroy it or you have ill will towards it, but it has no value for what you need. That everything you need, all the value for your survival in that moment is found in the full water bottle. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that our eternal value, the, the, the value and, and what we gain for life is found in him. It's not found in our family. It's not found in our job. It's not found in our kids, but ultimately everything that we need for this life and eternal life is found in Jesus. It's not a priority list of faith, family, football, you know, things we throw out like that, but this is Jesus Christ is the supreme need of our life and it's him alone that we serve. Now through that, we can be a good husband and a good father and a good um, child or whatever it may be, but ultimately it's his lordship that's required to be his disciple. There was a pastor in Russia who was... Um, taken to prison for preaching the gospel. And when he was in prison, they, would, they put him in basically a coffin-sized um, jail cell. And so he'd have to stand 24-7 um, while he was in prison. And they would take him out and they would beat his feet with um, leather straps. And these straps would basically bruise his feet and make him bleed. So then when he stood, it would be extremely painful um, in between beatings. And eventually this pastor was released and he made a statement that's really, really stuck with me. He said what he found in prison is that there are people who sincerely believe in Jesus Christ. And there are people who sincerely believe that they sincerely believe in Jesus. But in fact, in times of testing, their faith isn't true, that they still love the world more than they love him. And it wasn't until he was in that prison cell that that faith, that love for God was truly tested. Was he going to renounce Christ, be released, go back to his family, or was he gonna endure the sufferings of persecution because he loved Jesus Christ and he was his disciple? Because other pastors did cave, apostatized from the faith and were released. 
Just got done reading a book um, by Nabil Qureshi. He was a Muslim um, who um, left Islam, became a Christian, and was disowned immediately from his entire family, was threatened by other Muslims that they would kill him for apostatizing from the faith. And see, these men, when these things happen, rubber meets the road, are you a disciple? Have you truly forsaken all for Jesus Christ? And to be honest with you, um, it makes me afraid to say this, but I think they're the lucky ones. I think they're the blessed ones because for them, they were tested and they knew whether or not they were a disciple. The young rich man, ruler, he thought he was a disciple until Jesus Christ really challenged him. And each one of us will stand before Christ and we'll give an account. Did we truly love the world or did we love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? So I believe it's a, te- it, it's, it's a blessing to be tested and that each one of us really consider Where are we at with Jesus Christ? Have we made that choice to become his disciple? Not based on our preference, like the hat maybe, but have we really considered what the scripture says it takes to follow Jesus? So Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you that your promise and your gift of eternal life is greater than the cost. Jesus, that you loved us enough to die for us when we were evil, when we were against you. And Lord, you're just asking us to love you back, Lord. So I just pray that you'd give us the strength, you'd give us the grace, Father, and that you would give us the hope found in eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, as we finish the service, a time of reflection and uh, a time of response, uh, Jesus does raise the bar very, very high. And the reason for that is that's the challenge we need. We need to make a decision. Uh, and, and we need to put all of our trust in him. And so I would just ask you as we end the service today, Where are you at as a disciple? Are you all in following Jesus? Are you denying yourself every day, taking up God's will for your life and following Jesus? If not, I just want to call you to recommit yourself to that. Maybe you need to put your trust in him for the first time and say, Jesus, I need you in my life and I want to follow you. Um, Or maybe you need to recommit. But I think it's something that we need to do regularly because we get distracted in this life and our hearts get pulled in different directions. And so just want to call you to consider that.